God speaks to us through his word in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Man, there was so much energy for the donuts. I realized you spent your energy for the donuts. I've never seen heads whip back to the back more quickly when Jordan said there were donuts in the back. I understand you... You exasperated a little energy, and maybe you're on the downturn of a sugar high now. Uh, but e- even if that's you, man, it's really good to be with you. My name is Kevin Cauley. I actually get the pleasure of serving all of our frontline congregations. We are one church with five congregations, and God's given me an amazing privilege that I get to serve all our congregations. But I'm not going to lie to you, and I don't just say this because you have donuts. I love every time I get to come here. My kids are actually really frustrated this morning that I didn't bring them along. Um, and I think it's because you guys are warm and welcoming and happy, even in the midst of chaos. Like you guys have had several really intense weeks, sad weeks, hard weeks, um, exhausting weeks, and the countenances with which you guys welcome one another is special. So if you're not aware of that, let me just tell you what exists here, and uh, maybe I'll, I'll send my kids out here um, again to hang out with you guys, because they like, they like running around and being with you. And so do I, I don't run around as much with you, but I'm I'm delighted to be with you. Let me tell you what we're going to do really quickly, and then we'll pray and dive into this text. Um, If you're new here or the pace for the last few weeks has been different, let me just remind you or bring you up to speed. As a church, we've been walking together through the first letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Now, when you think about the Corinthians, I don't think it's possible to find a group of people that are more distant from us right now culturally geographically or historically. Like when you, when you read about these people in this place a long time ago, there's tons of distance in time and culture and location between them and between us. But the Corinthians are actually just like you and me. These are people that put on their shoes just like you and me and have met the risen Christ and God broke into their world, turned everything upside down, and now, now they're trying to figure out how to reorient their lives in light of the fact that God raises the dead. That's, that's what this letter is, is people going, wait a minute, if God raises the dead, and if Jesus is who he says he is, what does this mean for every aspect of my life? How I shop, and how I conduct business and how I eat and what this means for my sex life and how we live as this newly constituted family of God. Where we find ourselves this week is a famous section in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapters 12 to 14, in which Paul helps these people realize, here's how God equips us supernaturally to function as the body of Christ. That's all that's going on here. It's like, hey, a supernatural God who created the universe and holds it together and has broken into our world actually enables us to live as his people. 
So that, that's what these passages are. And in the verses that we heard this morning, I want to draw your attention, if you've got a Bible, to verse 7. Because we missed it in the reading, and we missed it for a reason. You guys had it a couple of weeks ago. But Paul says in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What Paul is telling us is God who is present and at work among us, loves us so much that he dispenses gifts to each one of us to give to other members of the body so that all of us can live together in a better way. That, that's what this passage is about. There's a big list of gifts here. It's not an exhaustive list, list of how God gifts his people. It is a focused list for the people at Corinth. And we're just gonna take a couple of them. We're gonna take miracles, healing, and discernment. Next week, you guys are going to deal with word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and faith. And then we're going to move all conversation about prophecy and tongues to when we get to chapter 14. Does that make sense? By way of introduction, as the donuts fade. Let's pray, and uh, we'll dive into this together. <coughs> Father, it is far from lip service. It's actually humbling to be with these men and women. I love what you're doing here. And I just ask God that you would do more of it. Would you strengthen the weak? Would you heal the sick? Would you comfort the hurting? Would you humble the proud? Would you give us a a picture of who you are and how you move so that we could be captivated as your people and walk in your power as your people. Help us now as we listen to your word together. I ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. All right. In 1994, there was a New Testament scholar by the name of Gordon Fee. Gordon Fee wrote this monstrous book, I mean, as big as any dictionary I've ever seen, that was a comprehensive study of the Holy Spirit in all the letters of Paul. Everything Paul says about the Holy Spirit, Fee dealt with in this book, and the title of the book is God's Empowering Presence. And in the introduction of the book, Fee says, I chose each one of those words for a very critical reason. He said, I want us to understand, first of all, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about some indefinite force or energy. We are talking about the person of God himself. Fee says that the Spirit of God is not some gray, oblong blur, but he is God with us. So this is, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the manifestation of the power of God among the people of God for the glory of God. He says, Paul is clear that God gives us his spirit to empower us to be his people. And then finally, he says, presence. In dealing with the Holy Spirit, we are dealing with the presence of God himself among us. And if you think about what Paul's saying in chapters 12 to 14 of 1 Corinthians, it's important for us to remember that twice now, Paul has told the Corinthians in chapter 3 and in chapter 6, you are 
the temple of God. And why would he say that to a people? He's trying to help us understand that God doesn't dwell in buildings made by human hands, that God dwells now through Jesus Christ and his spirit among a people. So Paul's saying, hey, you don't gotta go to a building to connect with God's presence. You as the church actually carry his presence. You are the place God dwells. And Fee says, man, what I wanted people to know when I wrote this book is what I want you to know this morning. He said, I wanted people to have an experiential awareness of what it meant to live as the temple of God. It's fun for me because you see a book that's a thousand or more pages and you just presume it was an egghead that wrote it. But Fee is a pastor that loved people. He's like, man, I wanted my people to actually know what it was like, know, really, really know what it was like to walk in the power of God. He said, I wanted an experiential awareness among the church. And that's what I want for us as a family. And I, I realize I'm saying this to you and there is a widespread spectrum of folks in this room. There's some of you in this room that don't know Jesus. You aren't followers of Jesus. You're like, what do, you, what do you mean the presence and personal power of God? Hey, I'm so glad you're here. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, it's an amazing opportunity to see how God empowers his people. Some of you might be going, man, I wish I wouldn't have brought my friend here who's not a Christian because this is the weird part of the Bible. I beg to differ with you. I think this is a really normal way God empowers his people. And actually, I think if we could demystify what Paul's talking about here, we could walk in power and freedom that God desires for us. So I, I realize some people are like, you don't, even, you don't even know who Jesus is. Other of you are like, man, I do not believe this stuff is true. Maybe you're a Christian, but you've been taught your whole life that the miraculous manifestations of the Spirit of God closed when the canon was closed. I was like, hey, we have our ESV now. Why do we need the manifest power of God? The, the, the problem with that, I mean, as if there's just one is, you see the apostles of Jesus walking in the book of Acts who actually had been with the risen Christ himself and are asking God to manifest his power in ways that would ennoble in, in and uh, in, in empower and inspire the church. Like, to have the Bible doesn't mean we don't mean the presence of the Spirit of God among us. It's another sermon for another day. Don't, don't let me get off on that. Like, maybe that's you. And I don't say that to like subtweet you or mess with your mind. I'm so glad you're here. Let's sit together under God's word. Let's ask what God's word says to us. And then let's ask how by his spirit we can be obedient to his word. That's, that's my, if you're like on this side of the spectrum, like man, this is not the way God moves today. Like, let's, let's ask what it says in his word. And if you're like, I don't know who God is, I think God has a word for all of us in the midst of that. But let's just acknowledge the limitations that are on me, knowing who's in the room and knowing for some people how technical of a subject this is. You read books on miracles and healing and what people start to do is they start to divide stuff up and go, well, um, only this kind of disease is healed in the New Testament or only this kind of infirmity and you don't see this kind of infirmity healed today. I'm like, man, it seems like we start to try to draw the lines in such a way where we always get the answer right or what we believe is what we see, which by the way, is the issue for us all the time. Have you ever said, I'll believe it when I see it? Does God heal people today? Does God do miraculous things? I'll believe it when I see it. That's actually not true. 
we, we actually see what we believe. And when we're given evidence to the contrary of our belief, more often than, we not, than not, we just reinterpret what's right in front of our face to align with what we already believe. We see what we believe all the time. So my, my prayer for us is that God would shift our belief structure, but we could acknowledge we're only gonna skim the top of the trees at this at best because we're gonna hit three topics within this list. So I just want you to think about as we're dealing with gifts of healings, and I say that plural on purpose, as we talk about gifts of healings and workings of miracles and discerning of spirits, there might be this sense in which you feel like we're shifting from like one thing to another to another awkwardly, but let me just remind you, what Paul is saying is, there's the same God, different manifestations of his presence. There's one Lord and different manifestations of his power. There's one spirit and different manifestations of his gifts. You see that in verses one to, or four to seven of chapter 12. So if you feel the disjointedness of the varied nature of Paul's, or of God's gifting, can we just by, by God's grace zoom out and see that he's talking about how his one singular presence manifests itself in our midst. And, and I wanna be precise where I can, but man, the clock is already flying. So I want us to do gifts of healings, workings of miracles, discernings of spirits. I just want us to be able to leave here and name what these are. And then I want us to ask the question humbly, what would it look like for us as a people to grow in our pursuit or practice of these things. So that's, that's what I want us to do. What are gifts of healings, workings of miracles, discerning of spirits, and how can we grow in our pursuit and practice of that? Before I do that, I, I need to name one last thing that gets in our way of understanding and applying God's word in, in lots of places, by the way, but particularly in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. There are many of us that carry in our bodies a worldview that we're largely unaware of. And that worldview is called deism. And what deism states is there is some God out there that created the universe of all that we know and see. And then he sort of just left it to itself to function. And he's got his hands off the whole equation. People talk about this as God as a divine watchmaker. He set up the earth and now he's left it alone. And I say that because many of us, whether we're conscious of it or not, we think about the world in which we live as if God said it and walked away. And, and therefore, we consider miracles being those moments when God sticks his hand in the box that it previously wasn't in. It's almost as if we view our lives in some kind of aquarium that God created but is distant from. And when we see a miracle, it's like God reached his hand in the aquarium, fixed something, solved something, did something, and then took his hand out. But, but that's not how the God of the Bible functions. In fact, I wanna just give you three scriptures to jot down and think about later. <clears throat> and then we could give you a lot. Colossians 1, 17. Hebrews 1, 13. And Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Colossians 1, 17. Hebrews 1, 13. Ephesians 1, chapter 11. If you're like, man, I, I didn't get those written down fast enough, just go to the chap first chapter of Colossians, Ephesians, and Hebrews. And in these places, God tells us that not only did he create the world, but he upholds it by the word of his power. That his presence is something that's never departed the earth. And Paul says in Ephesians that he works out everything in the universe according 
to his purposes. He's actually intimately and intricately involved in every single dimension of our life. There's no place we can go to escape his presence and his hands are not outside the box. The scripture says they're everywhere. So if, if that's how God is functioning in the earth, how do we explain miracles? So let's think about miracles and healings and let's talk about miracles first because I think healing is a kind of miracle. So here's number one, let's talk about workings of miracles. When Paul says, hey, there are kinds of gifts and one of them is workings of miracles, what does he mean? Almost literally, he's talking here about the manifestations of powers. And again, I'm saying this plurally, which you're gonna see even more significantly when we get to healing. But here's the best definition I can give for you. This is Craig Keener from his book, Miracles Today. He says that miracles are a special divine action. And then Keener talks about miracles as the paranormal operating of God. And he's very deliberate to say, I don't mean paranormal in the sense of like the X-Files or whatever fantasy novels you're reading right now. I mean paranormal in that it's contrary to the normal ways God's works. This is the working of God outside of that which is ordinary. Let me read to you another definition. This is from Lewis Smedes. He says this. In the biblical view, a miracle is a signal that God is, for a moment and for a special purpose, walking down paths he does not usually walk. A miracle is not a sign that a God who is usually absent is, for the moment, present. It is only a sign that God who is always present in creative power is working here and now in an unfamiliar style. If I could tell you a thousand times this morning, God's hands and his heart and his presence are not outside your world. Therefore, when we ask for God to move miraculously, it's not asking him to step inside something he's not inside presently. It's saying, hey God, I know you're here. Would you manifest your presence and your power in a way that I don't normally see it? And maybe would you give me courage to ask for your presence and power in a way that I don't experience it? And what I want to do is I want to give you just a handful of examples of what I believe are miracles. And I'm not going to give you from someone else's life or from some book I read 20 years ago. I just want to name them to you from my life. Not as a way of making myself look significant, but I hope in the purpose of miracles so that you go, oh, God really is at work among us. That's what miracles are are four. So you go, oh my gosh. God's here. God, God's real. God's at work. I, I have a friend in Kansas City that he died a couple years ago. He's gone to be with Jesus. But when he tells you his story, it blows my mind. This guy's really smart, really handsome man, successful, had all the tools, but he was incredibly lonely. And if he told you about his life, he would say, I was living in an incredibly dangerous and destructive place. And so lonely, so isolated was he that he decided he was going to end his own life. And so considerate and kind was he that he was like, well, man, I didn't want my boss to be in a bad spot when they found out that I was dead. So I took all my vacation time at one point. I didn't want my landlord to have to get rid of all my stuff 
after I was gone. So I sold or gave away all my stuff. And this guy had literally taken vacation, simplified his life down to one thing, and was ready to end his life. He goes out to eat his last meal. He sits down to listen to a record that was his favorite album. And then he was going to end his life. And as this record is coming to a close, his phone rings. And he said, I'd forgotten I had a phone. No one had my number. No one even called me. And he, with a little bit of trepidation, answers the phone. And he hears on the other side of it, Patrick, you have no idea who I am. And I have no idea who you are. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where you are. All I know is it's one o'clock in the morning where I am and God woke me up, gave me your name, gave me your number, told me to call you and tell you to choose to live. And 30 years later, Patrick would look you in the eyes with tears in his eyes and say, God saved my life. That's a miracle. I say that because that's a miracle. That, that's how God moves. You're like, man, that was still 20 years ago. Okay, let me tell you about this week. And again, this is that moment where you, you see what you believe. But I'm just gonna tell you about a moment in my life. I've had a pain in my shoulder that has been increasing over the past couple of weeks to the point where it was difficult for me to focus in conversation with people. I'm like looking at them and trying to be present. Have you ever been in that moment where the only thing you can do is like think about not wincing from the pain you're bearing in your body? <laughs> so intense was this pain that your pastor, the great and esteemed Reverend Ben Hill, I was like, dude, could you like put your elbow in my back and let's pray that God releases something? Ben was like climbed up on a table, putting his elbow on my back and the pain just wouldn't go away. On Wednesday night, I went to sleep and as I slept, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was laying on the floor in the sanctuary of Frontline Downtown Oklahoma City. And Brian Elliott, who's a pastor of Frontline Downtown Oklahoma City, is pouring oil from a jug onto my shoulder and praying that God would pull the pain out of my shoulder. And I wake up and the pain is gone. And it's still gone. And you know what? It might come back 10 minutes from now, but I believe that's a miracle. I believe that's God who is present and at work in our lives, operating in an abnormal or paranormal way to go, hey, can I remind you? I'm here. I'm in control. I'm working. I'm moving. I heal. I save. I deliver. I restore. People go, well, man, no, the healings in the New Testament were permanent. Really? Those people died. I mean, like, I, where does it say that those healings were permanent? Where does it even say that those healings were immediate? Like, maybe it took five, six, seven, 10, 20, 50 times for those people to get prayed for, and then God healed them. And I promise you, even if the pain never came back, their bodies are rotting someplace. Healing doesn't have to be permanent to be miraculous. This is how God moves. One more example, just because I'm trying to, like, paint the circle wide. A handful of years ago, I was in India visiting a group of people planting a church there. And we were cooking and just hanging out together one night, and their oven in this house was like a dishwasher. It wasn't mounted in your wall like your oven at home. It was just like sitting on a box, and it was hot. We had it as high as it would go because we were trying to get the oven hot so we could broil something. And as their three-year-old kid was playing in front of this oven, it topples on him and he falls in, it falls on him where he's inside of it. Yeah, I saw faces. Those are the faces that are the right thing to make. It was like, oh, this kid is gonna be badly, 
horribly injured. We pull the oven off of him, and uh, in radical contrast to a badly burned child, we have a boy who's utterly delighted and giggling and frustrated that the oven was removed from him. And when we try to get inside of it, we're like, what is going on inside of you, child? And he's like, the angel that held me while the oven was on top of me was fun. He was kind to me. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. And you're like, man, I don't know. That night when we put him to bed, he, he, he's one of those kids that always had a lovey with him, some kind of stuffed animal. We're like, hey, Emil, where's your stuffed animal? And he goes, oh, the angel put it on the gate post as he left. It's out there. And you're like, it's a 10-foot post outside this compound with this puppy laid conveniently over the top. That's a miracle. And, and I believe that was as if, as if the people there weren't convinced by the miraculous operations of God. It was like, hey, are there any doubters? What child could put the puppy there? It's, it's a miracle. This is what God does. And the point isn't to lift up or awaken awe and wonder about, like, that person's amazing. What's, the point is to awaken awe and wonder at the power of God. The reality of his promises, the significance of his presence, the reality of his judgment. Like there, there is a sense in which when you encounter the miraculous power of God, we should feel the realities of our frailty and fallenness. Let me ask you this question for those of you who are skeptics, like God doesn't work this way. Certainly you have things in your life that happen that you cannot explain. My, my question for you simply is, what do you do with the things in your life that you can't explain? And is it possible that instead of chalking stuff up to randomness or chalking something else up to luck or something else, you could actually concede for a second that there is a supreme, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, ever-present God who's ordering everything in the universe for his purposes, for his glory, and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your good. And let me ask you this question. If you're still unwilling to concede that, would you be willing to, to even admit a longing that we need that if you wouldn't consider the, long, the, the reality of it? To those of you in this room that are Christians, that are followers of Jesus, let me ask you how the reality of God's workings of miracles affects your prayer life. Do you pray like a functional deist? As if God's completely out of the box and sometimes he shows up and does something zany? Or do you pray as if God is intimately involved and ever present and delights to, as Isaiah says, flex his muscles and show off his power and astonish his people with his goodness and his love and his care? If you're a Christian, how do you pray when you face things that you can't navigate yourself? Let me ask it another way. And by the way, I don't, I don't say this to shame a single person in this room. I say this because I, I want us to grow as a church family. If God answered every single prayer you prayed this week, what would be different in Shawnee? What would be different in your home? What would be different in your heart? What would be different in the world? Is it, is it possible, brothers and sisters, 
that we could have a view of God that was so big, there was nothing we wouldn't ask him to do. This is a real question too, and I, I gotta move on because like we got lots of work to do. Are there places in your life where you've actually asked God to do something miraculous and you feel like he didn't do it and left you hanging out to dry and now you're disappointed or you're bitter and you don't have the courage to ask him again? The only way I know how to say it is this, like if you believe God is so powerful that he could have done something that you're now blaming him for not doing, is it possible that he has reasons for not doing that that you couldn't fathom? What would it look like for us to say, God, you are ever present, you are all powerful, you are all knowing, you are all loving, and you have promises for your people. Can, can we just ask him to make good on them and let him sort it out? Because what I know is God's never stressed out. I'm like, oh man, they're gonna ask me that and I'm probably not gonna be able to do it. Father, even right now, I ask that you would increase our faith. And, and my faith is small. I don't pray for miracles because my faith is large, God. I pray for miracles because my faith is small. I would even ask that you would overcome the weakness of our faith. And thank you, living God, that our confidence isn't in our faith, but in your power. So would you manifest your power in the lives of my brothers and sisters right here in this room? All right, moving on at a breakneck pace. Let's talk about... Let's talk about gifts of healings. Gifts of healings. How do we define healing? This is a place where I feel weird because if you read technical books on the Bible by scholars who don't believe that God heals, the lines are drawn in such bizarre ways I can't even wrap my head around it. But here's, what I think, here's how I think we define healing. Healing is this, the strengthening of physical weakness and the cure of infirmity. To heal is to make well, to make better, to restore movement or function, to restore to health, to alleviate pain. That's what it means to heal. And in the Old Testament, when God says, hey, my name is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, the, the translation of that word is this. The healing there means to restore a wrong, sick, broken, or deficient condition to its original and proper state. That's what it means to heal. Healing can be physical, it can be emotional, and I believe it can be relational. I believe God can heal damages that exist between relationships, but at that point, people might mince definitions and say, well, that's something else. Okay, I believe that God can miraculously restore relationships even if you don't wanna call it healing. Now, now let's, talk, let's talk about why Paul uses plurals, because I've been on this since we started, and like, why does it matter? Gift and healing are both plural. Paul says that the Spirit appoints or distributes gifts of healings. Why? Let me read to you a quote from D.A. Carson. He says, this strongly suggests that there were different gifts of healings. Not everyone was getting healed by one person. And perhaps certain persons with one of these gifts of healings could by the Lord's grace heal certain diseases or heal a variety of diseases, but only at certain times. Now think about that for a second. What Paul is saying is, it's not just like God gives some people in the congregation an ET finger that they can run around and touch everyone with and heal. But I, I want us to see that spiritual gifts are not abilities that God hands you, like he gives you the tool and like, well, you're the channel lock person for the rest of the life in the body of Christ. No, healings or gifts aren't abilities, they're opportunities that God gives us for his spirit to fill in the gaps. 
That's why Paul says he doesn't give a gift of healing as if you walk around with this one thing that can fix everything. I remember in college, I listened to this famous theologian say, healing doesn't exist outside the time of the New Testament. And the way we know that is if someone had a gift of healing, they could walk into a hospital and clear the hospital out. And this pastor that had invested his life in me at the end of this time makes a beeline to the front of the room. I'm like, well, I'm gonna get in that guy's hip pocket. I wanna hear what he has to say. And he said to this guy, hey, two, two things I wanna enlighten you to. Number one, Paul never says that there's a gift of healing. This is plural. It's the first time I'd ever heard that in my life. He's like, this is gifts of healings. And he said, second of all, you and I both know that's not how gifts work. He's like, I believe you have the gift of teaching, but I don't believe everyone in this room learned tonight. He's like, I didn't learn anything. And, and I had a conversation with a guy after the nine. We're like, that, we, we don't even think administration works that way. If someone had the gift of administration, well, couldn't they walk into any organization and solve every problem there? That's not how gifts work. It's not how gifts work. And Paul says, hey, there are gifts of healings because the Spirit of God, as he sovereignly wills, right? Look at verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 12. All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Why do people have an ability miraculously to pray and see someone healed? Because the Spirit of God wanted that to happen. And, And we see gifts of healings because I believe the Spirit of God in his quirkiness, and I don't think it's blasphemous to call the Spirit of God weird. God's weird. Look at yourself in the mirror. He loves you. He's weird. He made you. He thought, he thought up your face. God's weird. Can I get an amen from somebody? At least think about your roommate, how weird your roommate is. God made them and loves them. Ladies, think about your husband for a second. Weird. God's weird. Am I lost? In the, in the weirdness of who you are? Oh, hey, God, God might see fit to give you a burden to pray for someone because he wants to give you a gift to give to them. That, that's, how, that's how gifts of healings work. And what's crazy, man, is you can actually see in the church, sometimes God will give gifts of healings where one person can pray over 10 people and see 10 people get healed. And then we'll pray over 300 more people and we'll never see any of those people healed. Well, did that person not have the gift of healing? No, because there never was one. But God gave gifts of healings in that moment for that time. And we see other people where, like, there's a guy I know at Frontline South that for whatever reason, God has burdened him to pray for lower backs. And like, they've seen seven, eight, 10 people with lower back problems healed through this man's prayer. Now, do we believe that now this guy has an ET finger for lower backs? No. God gives gifts of healings. And sometimes we ask him to heal and he does. And sometimes we ask him to heal and he doesn't. And I love this quote. I love this quote by Gary Best. He says, our great encouragement is that we can't heal anyone. If anything is to happen, the critical factor will be God's faithfulness. What we can do, however, is love and then simply reach for all that God will gift us to do. I came to faith under the leadership of John Wimber in the vineyard in the early 90s, and I loved Wimber would always say, hey man, I would rather pray for thousands of people and see one get healed than pray for nobody and see nobody get healed. Like, is it possible, family of God, that God desires to move us into a place where we ask for more. Let me ask you, where are you reluctant 
to ask the Spirit of God to heal? Are there places where you see needs around you and you're reluctant to ask for God to heal you, for others? Are there diseases that you feel like are too big for God to heal? Diseases that you feel like are too small for God to heal? Oh, I'll, I'll pray for cancer, but I won't pray for headaches. Why not ask God to do everything? Let, let God decide what he heals and what he doesn't heal. And can we have the courage and faith by God's grace that when we ask him to heal us and he doesn't, we understand that if he has the power to heal, he also has the awareness and the the ability to see things we don't see and have purposes to not heal that we wouldn't understand. Man, I wish I had more time to preach. You guys are out of here at three, right? There's no football games on. It's hot outside anyway. Man, may, maybe this is a place where Frontline Shawnee just could come to, a, maybe it's the training wheel spot where we're like, hey God, I believe, help my unbelief. As we think about gifts of healings and workings of miracles, are there places where we would have the courage to step forward and say, hey God, I know you can do this. Maybe that's a starting place for you. God, I know you can do this. Because not only can he, but he delights to, the scripture says, and he does, the scripture says. What's hard for us is the scriptures also say that he doesn't for the same reasons that he does, for his goodwill and for his glory. Let's move finally to the ability to distinguish between spirits. And if you look at this list, right, to some by the same spirit he gives gifts of healings, to another workings of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. Now some people will say that the discerning or distinguishing between spirits that Paul lists here only has to do with prophecy. Like if someone speaks a prophetic word, that God would enable them supernaturally to know if that word was from him or not, or if even if the word was from him, if it was accurate or inaccurate, or like how the person uh, you know, prayed it out or applied it. But I actually think it's broader than that. And here's why I would urge you to consider that this spiritual gift of discernment is broader than just interpreting prophecy. In Exodus 7, Moses discovered that the Egyptian sorcerers were able to perform all the miracles that God had commanded him to perform. Well, how do we know if this is from the Lord or not? In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, Jesus warned that, warned that people would perform miracles claiming to be from him, but he wouldn't even know who they were. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, there's an involved discernment process. I think we need to see discernment and the, the supernatural ability to discern between spirits most definitely as applying to prophetic words, but, but applying way broader. In fact, I long for the people of God to grow in such a way where we're asking the spirit of God in a moment just to make it clear what's happening. Like, where do you ever find yourself in a room, in your community group, maybe someone asks you to pray for them, where before you just start talking, you stop and ask, God, what are you doing here? And then you listen. God, what are you doing here? And by the way, friends, your discernment will be intensified, sharpened, honed, more stable, more powerful, the more, the more you know God's word. Golly, man, I don't want us to ever be the kind of church that pits God's word against his spirit. If you read his word, in my reading, it makes us long for him to do the stuff that he does in his word. 
<laughs> and if you're asking God to do this stuff he does in his word, you know that you have to grasp his word and his ways and his promises so that in a moment we go, hey, hey, wait a minute. That's not God. God doesn't, God doesn't work that way. I, I have a friend that used to like, anytime he would say the Holy Spirit said this, what you knew for certain was it was going to be confusing and weird and radically contrary to the scriptures. God, I don't want us to be that way. I want us to pursue the word and the spirit together. Listen to Craig Keener again. Discernment's important not only when distinguishing true prophets from false or true prophets accurate from inaccurate prophecies. Discernment is also important in hearing God for ourselves. Man, I, I want us to live in such a way where we're in God's word, we're aware of God's presence, we're leaning on God's promises and we're asking God to move. And then as we ask him to move, we simply have the courage and humility to say, what are you doing? God, God what are you doing? Where, where do you see sickness that you wanna heal? Where do you see brokenness that you wanna mend? Where do you see arrogance that you wanna correct? Where do you see humility that you wanna honor? Spirit of the most high God, what are you doing? And then ask him to give you the kind of supernatural ability to press in to say, hey, I think God's doing this here right now. And you can be humble about that. I'll close with this. I've given you guys a blast. <laughs> I've given you guys a blast from my fire hose anyway, but I've given you guys a lot of my love for Craig Keener. Listen to how Keener closes this time. I'm gonna use Keener to close this time. Not everybody experiences physical healing in this life. But when God does any miracle, it's a gift to every one of us. That's because it's a confirmation to us of God's promise of a world made new, of the day when he will wipe away our tears and when death and suffering will be no more. Until then, as people of his kingdom, we keep working for people's health and security in every way available to us, through medicine, through food, and sometimes through prayers for miracles that God hears and answers. Pray with me. Living God, there's so many things I want to say and my um, fast blast through this text leaves me feeling kind of weird. But actually what I long for us to hold on to, if nothing else, is that you're not outside the aquarium. You're here right now. In fact, your word tells us there's no place we can go to escape you. And you're loving and you're powerful and you know everything about us and you desire to operate in this world in such a way where everything is brought to its perfect fulfillment in Christ Jesus. You desire to work in such a way where we glorify you for being who you are and receive the fullness of satisfaction therein. Man, increase our faith. And God, even if we don't believe that you work miraculously, would you give us the courage to long that you would? Would you give us the courage maybe even to dare to hope that you would once again operate in miraculous ways? Change what we believe so you can change what we see. I ask in Jesus' name and for his glory, amen.